Welcome to Liberty Chats, produced by members of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council. Thank you for joining us. We talk to a variety of experts, leaders, journalists, and policymakers about our nation's founding principles, why they are still so relevant and essential to preserving freedom for everyone, what specific challenges and threats they face today, and how those founding principles best safeguard and empower everyone's ability, young and old, to attain prosperity and personal happiness. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Liberty Chats, a new podcast from the Steamboat Institute. My name is Haley Supergan, a member of the Emerging Leaders Council, a leadership program out of the Institute, and I'm so excited to be a part of this podcast today. The Leadership Institute is a conservative organization based out of Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and we are dedicated to promoting the values of freedom, liberty, and civil dialogue. Today, our guest is Avita Duffy. Avita is a rising senior at University of Chicago, where she co-founded and is now the managing editor of Chicago Thinker, a student publication for the free exchange of ideas and fact-driven reporting. She is an intern at The Federalist and has written on issues such as COVID, campus culture, and even and has even been featured in the Wall Street Journal and on Tucker Carlson for some of her work. Avita, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So jumping right in, you are the co-founder and managing editor of The Chicago Thinker. Why don't we just start with you telling us a little bit about how that got started um, and what it is and how the publication is impacting University of Chicago's campus. So when I was um, a sophomore, it was the spring of my sophomore year, um, I was a part of the UChicago Institute of Politics, which is a bipartisan organization on campus, um, and it's run by David Axelrod, which is Obama's former chief advisor. And um, I was part of this project called I Vote Because, where students would um, stand in front of a camera, take a picture of themselves with a whiteboard, and it says, I vote because, and then you would write your reason for voting. And the other students wrote, you know, I vote because I believe children should be put in cages. I vote because healthcare is a right. Um, and I wrote, I vote because the coronavirus won't destroy America, but socialism will. And because I wrote that, um, the photo went viral on campus and I was um, made a meme of. <laughs> People made fun of me. Um, they they also, you know, were deeply upset about that, that I was critiquing socialism, but, you know, instead made it about um, xenophobia and racism and accused me of really horrible things. Um, they even went after um, my intellect and my character. Um, they even said, you know, I wasn't pretty and it compared me to animals. Um, and then at one point, um, I actually received a death threat from one of my students. Um, this is the whole thing just filed out of control. And then I decided to write an op-ed in my school newspaper about how the university is not living up to a culture of free speech because the University of Chicago is very well known um, for being a pro-free speech campus. But if the student body isn't buying into that, then you can't have free speech because they bully and silence um, people. And so then there's no open dialogue um, and there's really just one prevailing narrative. So after that happened to me and, and similar things happened to a friend of mine, Audrey Umberfirth, we both decided that enough was enough. And we started the Chicago Thinker, which is um, a conservative and libertarian newspaper, um, which is, you know, there for conservative students to 
to showcase their ideas where, you know, in the past we had actually been afraid to do so. Yeah. I mean, it's such a a brave story of something that seems so simple, like you said, spiraled out of control, but it's incredible how you've taken that and been motivated to promote more free speech and more of those conversations on campus. So it really is inspiring to really Americans around the country. So thank you for, you know, leading the way with that. Um, Kind of going off of that, how has your role with the public with a publication that embraces those unpopular opinions and those ideas of freedom? How has that impacted your college career and your life on on U Chicago's campus? Well, I definitely am more well known <laughs> than I used to be on campus. Um, maybe not in a good way. I'm, I'm a little bit infamous because the University of Chicago is predominantly a left uh, wing campus. And so, you know, we have, we have a personal Twitter hate account, which, which is for, you know, our, 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 uh, every story that we write, they have all these terrible things. They, they make memes about things that we, (laughs) stories that we publish. Um, And so that's been pretty negative, but um, on the flip side of that, I'd say that the response has also been really positive where we've had, you know, over 30 students wanting to become a part of our team at the Chicago Thinker. And we've had, um, alumni and other students who aren't part of our team and even professors reach out to us and say, we're so happy that you're doing this. This is super necessary for the University of Chicago. They needed you here. Um, and just even thinking about professors, I mean, that's the most amazing thing is they, I, we've had professors reach out to us and say, I'm afraid to say what I think to my to my students because I don't want to get canceled. I don't want to lose my job um, if they don't have tenure. And so that's why exposing, um, you know, left-wing students who might be more intolerant to other ideas, exposing them to these ideas um, is actually creating more tolerance because then they're used to seeing us, they're used to hearing us instead of, you know, being outraged by someone saying they don't like socialism. Now they hear it all the time um, and they're more accustomed to to more radical points of view. Like, you know, if you're vaccinated, maybe you shouldn't have to wear a mask, which is very controversial on our campus right now. Um, so yeah, but it's it's been, it's been really, it's been negative, but there's been a lot of positive things. And I think that it's really, change the University of Chicago for the better. Yeah, it's, it's incredible how you're saying that it's created a normalization of differing ideas where you're right on most college campuses around the country, it is very one-sided. And so working to get some of those ideas into the, the sphere of thought and those uh, universities and campuses can be really hard. So you're definitely fighting a good fight there. Um, where do you see the, the publication going after you graduate? Do you plan to continue to contribute to it or how do you see it sort of evolving? What's so great about the Chicago Thinker is actually that we have a ton of freshmen. Uh, we we, re- we purposely reached out to many, many freshmen and there's um, a lot of really young people on campus that are part of our our editorial board that I think would be great candidates to pass it down to. This is not like something that's going to die off. Um, When I graduate, Audrey and I, my co-founder, have been preparing um, to to make sure that this is going to be something that stays on campus and continues. And and, uh, so it's been it's been awesome. And I think that it's going to it's going to be something that will be institutionalized on campus. And we're actually not a part of the University of Chicago. We're not an RSO. We didn't want the school to have any say over what we what we write, what we do. Um, so we we are, you know, privately funded. We do our own thing. Um, but but at the same time, you know, it's made up of just you Chicago students. So I don't think we should have a problem of continuing. That's awesome and really inspiring too to hear that it's not necessarily uh, connected to the university. So hopefully maybe other students with a variety of views around the country will sort of hear that message and be inspired to start something that's associated with their own with their own school and students that they're connected to. Um, I'd love to shift to some of your work on the COVID front. 
So you've written extensively on this issue and the impact of COVID policy and on college campuses at the Federalist. Could you talk about some of the more maybe egregious policies that you've come across and how you've seen student education and wellness impacted by those policies? Yeah, I mean, it's been so one of the one of the worst things for me, I think, is is um, obviously being healthy and fit is what helps combat against COVID. You, you, you have a better chance of of not having as many symptoms, of not being hospitalized or not dying. Um, students our age, we're not we're not likely to die or be hospitalized, um, but it's still you won't get as many symptoms if you're a healthy person. Um, and what the university, what the university have done is because they're trying to slow the spread, they've shut down gyms um, across the country at our school. They haven't shut them down completely, but you can only uh, go there for 50 minutes and you have to sign up days in advance. So if you miss your time slot or you show up late, then you don't have as much time to go to the gym, um, which I think is is really is not is not promoting a healthy lifestyle for students. Um, but but more scary than that is I think the the snitch culture um, at U Chicago. So they have uh, they have. Uh, anonymous reporting systems. So actually a lot of students that are part of our newspaper who have found themselves target targets of um, the anonymous reporting system. So leftist students will go outside on the quad without masks and they'll hang out. They'll even participate in destructive BLM riots that happened earlier um, in the school year in the fall. They were very, they were, they burned, um, they burned, uh, uh, um, you know, had little fires on the quad and, uh, you know, I'm not sure if they were part of looting, but that did happen in Hyde Park. Um, and at the same time, students at the Chicago Thinker who took a picture together wearing masks, but not six feet apart, were anonymously reported. And so that because I mean, we are very we're, we're pretty sure that the reason is because they they want to target students that they don't like. Um, and so that so that's been happening. The snitch culture at some schools, they have cameras facing the dorms. This is not in Chicago, but at other schools they do. They have cameras facing um, the, the dorm room so that they can see that no two students are going into each other's rooms because you're not, you're not allowed to go in. Um, and you're not allowed to socialize with other people. You have to socially distance at all times. Um, many students that don't follow all the rules, um, wh whether it's not wearing a mask properly or it's not being socially distanced, um, have been kicked out of university housing or suspended from school entirely. Um, they have tracking devices, so students have to at, at UW Madison. If you're not um, if you're not uh, getting tested frequently, they'll, they'll you know keep track of it on the uh, Badger app, is what they call it. Well, the bad drop, they say they're not tracking students, but some a lot of people believe that they're able to check if, if there's a large cluster of students, um, which is which you're not, you're not supposed to have um, by tracking how many apps are all together at the same time. So the, these are things that the school has been normalizing. Um, and it's I, I've written about it before, but it's 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 helping it's teaching kids to tolerate this sort of toxic totalitarianism that you would see in a communist country. Um, but now it's on college campuses. I've said it all the time that, you know, it's bad at, at, in, in Illinois where there's a lot more regulations than maybe Florida, but nowhere is it worse than on college campuses because the administrators and the bureaucrats who run the school are completely over, overblown and, um, you know, take away uh, the rights and, in my opinion, civil liberties of a lot of the students on of, of the students on campus. I love what you just said on it might be bad in Illinois versus Florida or places like Texas where they're more open, but it's the worst on college campuses. I think that students around the country will really resonate with that because even in, you know, states where it might be very open and seems free for the moment, you step on it to a college campus in those same cities and states and suddenly it's very locked down. So that's such a great point to make. Um, Going off of that article, I believe that you were just touching on um, 
at the Federalist, you have their recent article entitled Universities, Insane COVID Rules and Snitch Culture are Training the Next Generation to Embrace Totalitarianism. So you make a comparison in the article to the rebellious women of the feminist movement in the 60s. Could you kind of expand on how you see these uh, this comparison within the rebellious COVID culture and the rebellious feminist culture of those times and sort of how you see those defiances impacting American, or the COVID defiances impacting American culture in the future. Yeah. So in, in the sixties, um, you know, the, the left was, was the party of, of free speech and of, of freedom. So when women on college campuses in the 1960s and fifties, they had to sign in, um, into their dorm rooms. They couldn't, they had curfews. If they wanted to leave campus during the school year, they had to get like a parental note. I mean, these are very sexist policies that didn't apply to men. They only applied to women. And so, um, the feminist movement in the 1960s, left-wing students, left-wing feminist women, fought to get the university administration out of their lives. They said, we want the freedom to go out as late as we want. We want the freedom to leave campus. We want the freedom to be the adults that we are. And now what we're seeing is the left-wing students on campus have made a switch. And now they want the administration to put on more rules and to have more regulations um, because it's just been this this great switch. And suddenly the conservative students who might have said, you know, back in the day, you know, we're fine with the with the curfew times and all that. Well, now the conservative students are saying we want the bureaucratic overblown administration out of our lives. And part of the problem, part of why this is happening these days is because um, at regular schools, especially like in, in, in Oxford and then back in the day, there were far more faculty than there were administrators at every single school across the country. The administration um, is way overblown and outnumbers the faculty by you know triple or quadruple. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And so that's why the, you have these people and their only job is to put rules on students and create diversity, equity, and inclusion programs that we don't need. I would prefer that my tuition go to my go to my professors and not to these administrators whose only job is to make rules. Yeah. I mean that's such a such a great comparison. I thought when I was reading through some of your work, I read that and thought, wow, I feel that anyone can relate to that, you know, thinking about the triumphs of the women in the 60s and the differences on college campuses then and today um, and how that really all compares. I feel like it puts it into a a more digestible perspective. Um, So really great work on that article. I loved reading it. And um, maybe at the end, we can plug where people can find more of your work. Uh, Sort of going off of that, we sort of mentioned how there's these left-leaning students who want more policy, these right-leaning students who want less policy, where do you see being a college student? Where do you see these sort of apolitical or non-political or maybe more central um, students leaning on these on these policy areas regarding COVID? Well, I think that a lot of them have been bullied into silence. You know, if, if you're kind of on the fence, you're not sure what to think, you would never sympathize with a conservative standpoint because the left wing, you know, group on campus has is so outspoken. Um, and you know, probably bigger than than conservatives or sort of middle of the road students that, um, you know, you're, you're just you're just afraid. You're afraid you're going to get bullied. You're afraid you're going to get called out on Twitter or in the classroom. Um, I've had things that I've said in class that might be controversial end up on Twitter. I mean, it's it's scary um, for people to speak out because they wield an outsized amount of power and they have no problem bullying other students. I've just said maybe maybe it's a little bit of a sidetrack, but, you know, women, feminist women, people who claim that they're feminists say we shouldn't, we shouldn't bring down women. We have to build them up. We have to stand up for each other. And, um, 
one uh, on our on our Twitter hate account, the Chicago Thinker, my co-founder and I went on Fox and Friends. And if you look at the pinned tweet at the top, it's a picture of the two of us. And in the comments, it's all comments like talking about how how ugly we are and pin like nitpicking all the things that are wrong with what we look like. But it's it's really hypocritical. And so, you know, the 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 rules of civility only apply to them um, and, and not to people who defer. Um, they want diversity of everything except for diversity of thought. Um, and so I think that a lot of people who are in the middle of the road who might have questions are really bullied into silence and just, you know, going along with whatever the left-wing nar- narrative is because they're afraid. Yeah. So with that and, you know, looking for solutions against the sort of intimidation that we see from the left, how do we combat that? How do we make a shift in American culture so that those maybe middle of the road people don't feel so intimidated by one side or the other? Well, you have you have to be vocal for for one thing. So, like that's what the Chicago Thinker does is we're showcasing our ideas. Um, but I think one of the, one of the biggest things that I think people maybe take for granted is is um, standing up for each other. So when I was being canceled, um, I you know I got so much hate publicly, but privately people would reach out to me and say, you know, I. I can't say it on, I can't, you know, say it in the comments on Facebook, but I can tell you that I agree with what you said, or even if I don't agree, I I don't think this is right. That's happening to you. Um, And I think it's really important if you see someone getting canceled, even if you don't agree with them to to reach out to them, to make them feel like they're not alone. Um, And if we can do that, if we can showcase conservative ideas, and if we can, um, you know, show that you aren't going to get completely canceled, we're going to, there are going to be people who are going to stand up for you and you're going to inspire people to have more courage to say things that might be unpopular. Um, but you def- we definitely have a ways to go um, for that to be the new norm. Um, you know, I think that what happened to me last last uh, last spring um, proves that you know there, there's some there's some time we have we have a ways to go, but I think that we can get there. Yeah, and I mean it's wonderful to see young women like yourself leading the pack. Um, you and your co-founder are both such an inspiration to, like I said before, Americans around the country because there are so many people who are afraid to speak up and seeing. People like you having the courage to do so is really inspiring. And I think more people are speaking up because of it. So um, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Uh, Why don't you let our listeners know where they can see maybe some of your upcoming work or read some of your past articles? So I I write for both the Federalist and the Chicago Thinker. So you can go to the chicagothinker.com and then you can obviously just go to the Federalist and you can search my name Um, it will show all of my pieces there. And also you can uh, follow me on Twitter, Avita B. Duffy underscore one. (laughs) Awesome. Well, hopefully we will have lots of listeners uh, reading and catching up on some of your incredible work. It's awesome to see such intelligent and strong college women uh, coming into the political realm like yourself. So um, do you have any last words of maybe hope or advice for the listeners and stay strong, <laughs> fight the good fight. Don't let the, they're not worth your time. If people are, are trying to cancel you or bully you, it's just, it's, it's not worth it. Just ignore it and focus on um, the, you know, the content of what you're trying to say and making your argument better, but you know, bad faith arguments are not, are not worth responding to or caring about. I think that's a, a great note to end it on. So Evita, thank you so much for your time today. It's been such a pleasure uh, discussing all these issues with you. And I can't wait to see where your work takes you from here. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to today's Liberty Chat. I'm Erica Anderson, the producer of the podcast. Our podcast editor is Fingers Malloy. My co-producers include Charlotte Whalen, Zachary Rogers, Lindsay Martin, and Christina Eastman, all members of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council, who represent the next generation of free market, free speech leadership. We hope you tune in again for our next Liberty Chat episode.